Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Waffle Press Retrospective. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. With me today is my co-hosts. Matt Garingo, which is me. Yes, it is. I just wanted to leave you hanging there for a second. I didn't know. I wanted to change right. it up. Because I feel like the show is starting to change it up. And the show we're here to talk about is Avatar The Last Airbender. And this is the Legend of the Last Retrospective, a podcast series about Avatar, the film adaptation by M. Night Shyamalan, and Legend of Korra. And every podcast recording, we go over five episodes of The Last Airbender. Eventually, that will change when we get to Legend of Korra because that show is structured differently. Um, but today's episodes... Thanks for setting that all up. You're welcome. I'm trying to do more in-depth introductions for these because we played you, it you fast and loose before. We're recording this on August No, 6th. you don't have to do that. It is, it is currently 324 on the East Coast, which means it's like noon where Diego's at. It, it is. Partly cloudy. It's sunny here, but it's a nice 79 degrees, which is a great change of pace because it's been over 100 for the last like three weeks. Which is not great. I keep, I keep losing power here. The The clock next to me is still wrong. I have not fixed it. Anyways, the episodes anyway. we're here to talk about today are The Blind Bandit, Zuko Alone, The Chase, Bitter Work, and The Library. I also have, there's a lamp next to me that is, it's the leg lamp from uh, Christmas Story. But like a mini one. Because I think they sold that with, like, a collector's edition of A Christmas Story. Remember Christmas Story? I do remember that. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. You want to know a hot take about that movie? It's not that great? Yeah. I like it. I, you know I, what? I, I, I never got into it as a kid. I always thought it was way too mean. Um, it's pretty mean, but I, I like that. <laughs> I Maybe I need to rewatch it, because I have not seen it in forever. I just like when Santa puts the boot in his face. <laughs> That's pretty... Oh, oh, that, that, oh. Is, that is pretty great. Um, but also... The Blind Bandit! <laughs> it's a great episode. It is also the introduction of fan-favorite character Toph, who on, on some days is my favorite character in the series, um, I, I love Toph, and Toph is great. Mm. And well, you the... fucked up what I was gonna—I was gonna do a joke. Oh, what are you gonna say? I'm gonna say this episode uh, is the introduction of my favorite character in the whole series, the Boulder. <laughs> I'll put it first. It's like, oh, you, everyone thinks I'm gonna say Toph, but I say the Boulder. Did you get it? Yeah, I got it. <clears throat> Did you get it? Well, I'm going to change it's, this it's, conversation in a landslide. It's the boulder, right? It, is it? Who's, who's the guy? Who's voicing the boulder? Hold on. Oh, my God. I'm looking it up. This is, why is this such a disaster? This is going good. This is really bad. This is going great. I'm feeling good about it. I'm going to say right now, this is like the strongest series of episodes to date, I think. Like, back to back to back. Like, nonstop, knocking it out of the park quality for these episodes. And I don't know why this is such a difficult conversation to have. Mick Foley was the voice of the bull there. Okay. And he's doing an impression of The Rock. That's pretty funny. 
So, did you get that one? Yeah, I did. The Rock was a wrestler. Now he's in franchises. Now he's one of the most bankable movie stars of all time. Because of those fucking Jumanji movies. Yeah, that's like insane how much those have made. And I like those. But like, wow. People really like those. Those movies movies should not be two hours long. They, They are a little long. But whatever, whatever. They're, they're I like them. We got long. a soft spot for them. Um, sure. It's a board. It's a game. It's sucked into the game. Kids can't do board games today, though. It's got to be a video game. But it's also got to be retro. Speaking of Cinema games, dead. Spe- <laughs> speaking of games, uh, also in this episode we get an introduction into like how bending can be used for games and entertainment value. With an underground fighting ring, you know, for kids. Yeah, well, it's 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 literally like it's just pro wrestling. Like the Rock thing is very apt. Because mm-hmm. they literally bring out the guy who's supposed to be like the Fire Lord fighter, the, the, I mean, the Fire, Fire Nation, Nation man. Yeah, and he's he's basically the Iron Sheik. Like, <laughs> can you believe that? It's like I don't know if wrestling is still that way, but. Where it was literally like, let's just get all these racial stereotypes and just have American guys beat the shit out of them. <laughs> like, for two decades. <laughs> well, you know, because America's got to win. Yeah, we've been doing a lot of winning lately. Fucking. <laughs> I've told you my theory on Vince McMahon, right? I'm going to say yes just to move the conversation along. All right, so my thing is that when the XFL was first started, which I think The Rock just purchased the XFL. Yeah, he's like one of the new major shareholders, if not the major shareholder. Because it was actually, from what I understand, it was actually going pretty good this time, but then COVID hit and, like, fucked everything up. Fucking hell. And so Vince McMahon, like, cut his losses. He made a ton of money, and everyone he employed lost money, which is what happens with that asshole. But, uh... I believe NBC picked up the XFL at first. And then it lasted one season and got canceled. And then in that vacuum, they had to fill it with reality shows. And one of those shows was The Apprentice with Donald Trump. (laughs) So I think there's an alternate universe where the XFL succeeded and Vince McMahon is president right now. Holy fuck. Is that a better or worse timeline? No, it's like exactly the same. <laughs> it's just Vince McMahon's present. The problem is it would be like, oh, the either like the Rock would be canceled because he would come out in support of Vince McMahon, or the Rock would be one of those guys who was like, I work for Vince McMahon, I know him, he's a fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so you have like you'd have like either liberals embracing the Rock or conservatives embracing the Rock. <laughs> It'd be, it would be something like that where, like, all our favorite wrestlers would either be heroes or canceled. <laughs> As opposed to pretty much, I think everyone except, like, Trace Adkins who, and Meatloaf, who competed on Celebrity Apprentice, have all, like, said Donald Trump was, like, the worst guy ever. <laughs> so That's just a liberal agenda. Yeah, man. To... You know all the all those classic liberals like Penn Jillette. 
and several other country music stars. <laughs> I don't know, man. This whole country's lost its mind. Well, what'd you think about this episode? No, this episode's great. Well, it's it's weird. This is where the show gets really interesting because stuff starts happening in a lot of these where I'm like, in my mind, I remember them being like five different episodes. <laughs> you know? But it's actually all of it happens in one episode. <laughs> And that was surprising to me, like, in my mind, because they start really packing in the story. And I'm not, that's not, like, a complaint. Like, I don't think they rush any of it. I think it all flows very well, because this is one where, like, the introduction of Toph and, like, the boulder and all that shit, I remember. I didn't remember the reveal of her rich family being this early. Mm. I thought that came later. I also remember the shitty, uh, earthbending teacher i thought that was a different episode too yeah they're definitely there's more going on in these than compared to where they were in the first season especially like those were definitely a little slimmer and i think i even talked about it i definitely talked about it off mic with you where like i didn't mind doing the five episode stretches uh for the first season and i was a little hesitant to do them for later seasons but i think we got a pretty good rhythm of recording like this so i don't mind but there is just like there's so many little details packed in that you could kind of fall down a rabbit hole of any yeah, of these episodes. Apart, like the majority of these, I think we could do an hour on every one of these episodes <laughs> that we're talking about today. And it's interesting you say the flow has been going pretty good, even though you just said this is maybe the most disastrous episode so far. Well, yeah, but like just the, just the opening. It's my job to try and sabotage everything. Why is that your job? Because I bring it back around. I get us thinking about it from a different angle. What, are we just going to be like every other fucking show talks about us? Be like, oh, the character is so great. No other show you're going to hear about how Vince McMahon is president (laughs) in alternate reality. That's why, that's how we get these people to listen. The six people. I'm so tired all the time now. <laughs> well, this might bring in new people because the the Avatar fan base is pretty uh, strong. I know. I'm so happy. Except there for was the, that, like, the, there's holdouts. There's holdouts of people on the timeline that I know of, Gene, that haven't started the show yet. Uh, Gene, what are you doing? I know. I know. What the Gene, f- I'm not even like angry at him. It's just like you're depriving yourself of a great show. Right? Like that's really the thing. Like I'm making fun of it, but also like just you'll be so happy <laughs> when you start watching yeah. it. Well, it's like it's one of those things where like I go back to so much that like mattered to me as a kid. And I'll be like, I can understand why I wouldn't be into this now. Like, I can still get something from it, but it's it's either aged poorly or I'm just a different person than when I watched it or, like, any number of things. But this is a show where it's like, I'm thoroughly enjoying this rewatch. And it's mostly aged pretty well. Mm-hmm. Like, there's been like only a few hiccups here and there, in my opinion. Um, and it's, it's even more shocking when it feels like when you realize it was made like 2005, 2006, you know, mm-hmm. like that's, what's always kind of shocking to me. And I just thought like, this is something I would still recommend to people. Whereas like half a dozen things I loved from that same time, I'd be like, you kind of had to be there for it <laughs> or like has been thoroughly canceled by the creator revealing themselves to be an awful transphobe. <laughs> Stairs. 
I wonder who you're talking about. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it, you know what I'm saying? Like, even Star Wars, which I love to death, it's like, if you're if you tried, like, I would say give give Star Wars a try. If you don't like it, that's fine. I understand not getting into it, especially as an adult. But this, I think, if you like these type of stories, if you like fantasy stories, you could do a whole lot worse. Yeah, literally, I would say like 99% of the other fantasy stories out there, I would consider worse. And not even bad, like there's obviously bad stuff out there, but that's not even what I'm referring to. I'm just saying, this is like the the cream of the crop kind of situation. And speaking of of people getting into it, I just want to highlight, I had an astronomy teacher in college. And he would always go on tangents about like, yeah, my, my son and daughter showed me Avatar. Have you guys seen that? <laughs> it's so good, right? <laughs> like, and That's great. Yeah, and he through the whole semester, he would um, update us on where he was. And he finished it before we were finished with finals. And he was like, oh, my God. <laughs> it, was just, it was great. That was a great class. That's, uh, that's great. Um, but, like, yeah, I, I would say, like, I don't know if I would say it's better than a lot of other fantasy fiction out there, but I think it's, like, the most accessible, if that makes sense, while also not being, like, dumbed down in any way, while also still being a show for children. Mm-hmm. Like, I've been I've been rereading um, the Book of the Long Sun series. I mean, Book of the New Sun series. There's, like, multiple books. Uh, <laughs> have you ever read any of those? No, I have not. I need, I need to Jean. read more fantasy right now. Yeah. Uh, the book of the new sun stuff is like really dense and there's like a lot of layers to it. And you almost like, I, I could not get into it until I, I literally had to buy a fan made dictionary of terms that are used in the books. What? In, or, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's worth it. Cause it, there's like a, there's a logic to it, but I kind of needed that for help. <laughs> And it helped me get through it. And it's one of those things where it's like, it's really dense. It's really creative. It's fascinating and like opens up a lot of questions. But it's still, it was written in like 1980. It was written by a dude. And as as great and deep and as interesting as they are, there's still like a lot of weird stuff about women in it. Mm. Like, like, not, like, overtly... It's, like, one of those things where it's not that, like, overt sexism of, like, women belong in their place or something like that. Mm-hmm. But just, you know, like, a guy who's clearly spent a lot of time thinking about women in his in his private time. Yeah, yeah. Is, I guess, what I'll say. Is it more like, uh, like of the era sexism, you know? Where it's kind of, I like, the say, norm, unfortunately? Say, well, I, I would say of the era, but I think in science fiction fantasy that era kind of lingered on fairly long mm-hmm. i would say that era lingered on until like the early 2000s <laughs> at least and like even now like you still will find it in books and it's one of those things where it's like i love those books but it's also something where i would be hesitant to recommend it to some people because of those elements whereas i don't like even as like we've discussed some episodes we felt like maybe drop the ball on certain things <laughs> I still I still feel like I could recommend this to almost anyone. That's an excellent point. I don't know. I don't have anything to build off of that. I just like that 
the show is accessible like that. Yeah, I, I like the way you put that. It's the most accessible of these. You know, like even even Lord of the Rings, which I like, is like peak film fantasy for me. Uh, it is very dense still. You know. Yeah. It's, well, it's that thing where it's like, in my opinion, it's like the director's cuts of all of those movies are better, but then like Return of the King is almost five hours. It's it's I think it's and four, it, which is still like wow yeah, a lot. It's still like super long. It's like nuts, and it's like hard to recommend that to someone, especially when it's like so much of it is about just wandering around and observing things. Mm-hmm. And and then it's one of those things where it's like a lot of there's like a lot of stuff in those there's a lot of weird racial coding in those movies. Yeah, yeah, that's that's and the thing too. Th- there's complicated gender politics, mm. and the problem is those are actual for in most cases those have been improved from the books. <laughs> so it's like one of those things where it gets harder to then like recommend going into the lore deeper. Mm-hmm. And that's just how it is. Like a lot of the most popular stuff, there's you know they're made by human beings of their era, which have a lot of biases. I'm sure as I get older, Avatar: The Last Airbender's biases will become more obvious. I mean, we are talking about a Western show that is heavily influenced by Eastern culture. We're still predominantly made by Westerners. The majority of the cast is white. Like there's those problems are still in this, but it's, I I I don't think it's as bad as other examples. Yes. <laughs> no, no, sorry. I I just I, I agree. Yeah, especially in regards of uh, it it is basically whitewashing because most of the voices are yeah. are are white people and uh, the characters. A lot of them are also. I, I hesitate to call them white, passing. Because, like, you know, like, Katara and Sokka are, like, heavily inspired by, like, Inuit culture and stuff like that, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. that's the basis of the, the water tribes' cultures. But then there's also no, like, there's no, there's no analog for people with darker skin colors. There's, yeah. you know, like, there's no black people in it, really. And that's, that's not, mm-hmm. like, it doesn't ruin the show. But it does also kind of raise some questions, which we will definitely get into at some point very soon. Uh, because there's a character that pops up that I think is a valid critique. Or, or presents a valid gets, critique of the show. It gets complicated. I mean... That stuff's always... I think one th- the one positive we can say is that they are white. I would argue they they are white passing a lot of the times, but not white passing enough to where the fans didn't immediately freak out when white actors were cast in the roles mm-hmm. in the film. Yeah, yeah. Like think think of any other fan base where it's like maybe a character's you know it, like especially in works of literature, maybe a character's race isn't specified. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly it's like, oh, they cast a, a black actor to play it, and the fandom freaks the fuck out. <laughs> you normally see the opposite out there than what you saw with Last Airbender, the movie, yeah. which we will get to, of course. Yeah, and you know what? Like, as much as we're criticizing, also give them credit for that because 
that still just is very, very rare if happens at all with mainstream media, you know, yeah. that people recognize that no white people should not play these parts. Yeah. I wish we could see, we could see more of it. I wish there was more, it was more in the hands of the people who maybe actually relate to the cultures that are being, you know, that a lot of this is based on. Mm-hmm. Cause part of it, you know, it, it is a thing of it, it's where it gets complicated where it's like, there's, especially if a show made for Western children, there's an exotic nature to the different cultures of Avatar, but they are heavily influenced by actual, for real, Eastern cultures. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's no, like I, like, I think that everyone's always looking for, like, that line. And the problem with stuff like that is that there really is kind of no line. Like, there's, there's, there's clearly bad... But then there's no real good. There's just kind of a gray. And even good stuff like this show are always going to have those little problems with it that you just kind of can't get around. And I think that's just a problem that it is with the fantasy or science fiction genre just in general. Like, that's something that they seem to not be able to divorce themselves from. Yeah, when you get into, like, the, the parable stuff and you start drawing... Not, I don't even want to say too much from reality, but I think they're... There is a point where it just becomes like you're probably going to hit some some stumbling blocks. You know, you're going to trip over yourself a little bit, even with good intentions. And even even if the end result and end goal is positive, there's there's probably something that'll get lost in the shuffle a little bit. And I don't even mean I that think... in like a completely negative way. I just mean like growing pains are okay. I guess. I think a big problem with it was, uh, I think a good example is, do you remember the Bionicle series of toys? I do remember those toys. Which which had like a whole mythology to it. If I remember correctly, a lot of the language and words that were used were based on like Pacific Islander um, mythology. But they kind of just like took pieces at random and just reworked them into the mythology. Oh, Bionicle, I know that was controversial at one point. Mm-hmm. I know that ended up being a problem after a while, which I think is like the more, like, don't do that <laughs> version of it. Uh-huh. I don't know, like, I, I hesitate to call, like, because sometimes I see people being like, hey, this stuff, like, it brings attention to these other cultures. And I'm always, like, a little hesitant to, like, praise something for doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, especially because we just live in this fucked up world where, especially if you're an American... Just a really fucked up history of how we've treated other nations and their culture. (laughs) It's like, you know, if you you even have like a poor reading of U.S. history, you realize the fucking Enchanted Tiki Room in Disneyland is pretty fucked up. (laughs) So, and it's like, that's like one of like the minor things. (laughs) Wait, what's Splash Mountain based on? You know, <laughs> that's not that's like not even like probably that. What's fucked up is Splash Mountain's based on Song of the South, and it might not even be in the top ten of problematic things in Disneyland right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but speak at least they're reworking that one, I guess. Oh yeah, what what is it gonna be? Do you know? The the I heard Princess and the Frog. Oh okay, that that's cool. Which is. Which is excellent, except for the fact that they've, uh, I don't know what the fuck's going on at Disney Imagineering, but they're, 
They haven't been doing a great job lately. Um, as a theme, in, from my opinion, as a theme park nerd. Oh, okay. Where the, the, all the rides are just too fucking bright, in my opinion. Well, I mean, not not to get but. into a whole like mainstream pop culture blockbuster debate as well right now, but like there is a problem with just everything needing to be like bright, sunny, cheery. Nothing can be changed from like what is considered accessible. I guess like it's it's a whole it's a whole problem with that corporation in particular too. But whatever, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, speaking of cultural diversity, I love the uh, the weird range of um, uh, uh, earthbending wrestlers. I guess there's like a luch- oh, yeah. a luchador frog man, which like I I don't know why I really like that design. It's so simple. It's so easy. Maybe it reminds me of Spider Man. That's why. I don't know. Um, one is clearly uh what's his name from uh punch out which is the punch out one there's the one he looks like king hippo from punch oh, out oh okay yeah 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 that's i, I think his I name think is the called... the hippo or something yeah he like it's it's just straight up king hippo <laughs> but it's great like you know this clearly clearly this was an episode where they whoever wrote it or maybe just the whole team was like Let's just put all our, like, wrestling knowledge in this one episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you want to talk about Toph? Because she's, she's your homie. Um, uh, Toph's the best. I don't know how to get into it without, like... I don't know, just like... I like Toph. I think Toph's the best. Um, it's one of those things where, I like, I, I could see this character... It's always like that fear if like they ever try to adapt this, which is I guess what Netflix is doing. Where it's like if if this if the character is like a few degrees off, it can be really annoying mm-hmm. and just snarky and just kind of like the jerky character for the sake of it. But there's this interesting levels of her like she was raised in an overprotective household because she's blind and she doesn't like it. And she's rebelling against it to the point where she runs off with with a bunch of vagabond children. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, maybe not the smartest idea, but hey, it ends up working out in the end. Yeah, I mean, when one of those kids is destined to save the world at some point, you could probably come up with worse. Like, honestly, the worst option is probably to just stay in place. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like, I mean, Toph is, is the best. Uh, I, I like that sh- her snarkiness, cause you know, snarkiness can get a little uh, obnoxious and everything needs to be snarky now, but hers comes from like a genuine place of like character. You know, it's almost like a, it's not even a defense mechanism. It's just how she reacts to the world because she's so fed up with being coddled, you know, yeah. like she's angry and she has every right to be. And I think that's, what's so great about how this show writes their female characters. Not, not not always, like we've talked about, and it's obviously not like, I don't want to overwhelmingly praise a bunch of dudes because it was predominantly dudes that worked in the show too, but like, th- the women are allowed to be angry, and they're not at fault for being angry because there's a lot of shit to be angry about. So I don't know, I just I just like that a lot. And it, it doesn't ever mm. feel like, like they never coddle the characters. Yeah, there's a, there's a logic to it. Mm. And especially when I've seen other examples of this type of character, where it's like they go, 
oh, uh, they had a difficult childhood, and that's why they're snarky. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not why people end up being snarky. <laughs> you know, like, you gotta, you gotta go a little more than that. And even then, it's like, it's, it's also when someone is just kind of, like, snarky in, like, this broad sense. Mm-hmm. Where it's there's no logic to it, like what that person finds funny, you know what I'm saying? Where it's like suddenly they go from like oh they'll make fun of like someone for wearing a dress or something, but then they'll also make fun of someone in a way that's like deep deeply hurtful. Yeah, it's like there's no like middle ground. Whereas Toph, they kind of they they get her to stick to this level where she can actually be hurtful. But it's in her character, and she's not trying to be when it happened. Mm-hmm. It's not like like Sorkin. Sorkin, I know everyone fucking <laughs> loves oh, Sorkin. Oh, it's it's not like the worst person ever to write women. <laughs> yeah, which he is, by the way. That is just a, an objective fact. Scientists agree that is a fact of life. I don't know. I don't... I don't know. Colin Trevorrow is still out there. Okay. No, there there are definitely Co- other terrible writers of women. Colin Trevorrow is still at large. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, the, the point I want to make is that not only is he awful at writing women, um, but every character ends up with like the same walk and talk attitude. They're spending lots of facts, really fast, and it's like, whoa, that was an epic takedown, bro. Way to own the libs. And then it's like they all talk the same. And this show has done a really good job of keeping characters' voices very distinct and their emotional cores very, like, separate. But also why they need each other at this point in their lives. So many so many Sorkin women, though, it's like they, they're fast-talking, they're taking their shit, but also deep down they do want to be coddled. And, and their, their dads did something to them when they were I, younger and it fucked them up like, with trusting men or something like that. Which, like, there's maybe something to say to that about, like, a, a woman character who's, like, in a, in a certain... Especially, like, maybe... I think it, that's why maybe the West Wing is, like, the like one of the few good things he did. Sometimes. Sometimes, like, I mean, yeah. a lot of the West Wing hasn't aged well. <laughs> but, like, that's a... You know, the world of politics is one where you kind of have to, like, block off certain sides of yourself in order to function in it. Mm-hmm. And so it makes sense for maybe, like, oh, you know, someone trying to rise through the ranks in politics, a woman, maybe she has to, like, act like a tougher person than maybe she really is. Or she, like, tries to act like she's in control, but really she needs help with a lot of stuff. You could see that, you know? Yeah. But the problem is he carried that over to literally, like, any other woman character. I know. Like, I don't know how anybody watched Molly's Game and was like, Sorkin's the next great director now, too. And and just, like, didn't immediately throw themselves into the ocean. Um, I'm sorry, but that that is, like, the worst film ever made. I I liked, like, most of Molly's Game all right. Like, I wasn't, like, rapturous about it, but I was enjoying it. And then just Kevin Costner shows up in, like, the last 20 minutes, and it's, like, the worst (laughs) fucking thing. Ever. It was like so awful. And it was like any goodwill I had for the movie just went away immediately. Yeah. Like, like I think why this show is also so good is that it understands that being vulnerable isn't a weakness. It, it, it's a strength. You know, being true yes. to your emotions is a good thing. You know, processing and expressing them in a healthy manner is how you grow as a person. And I don't think Sorkin actually understands that on his screenplays. I don't want to make judgments about the man, 
in, in that case, but I don't have a good read on him is what I'll say. <laughs> yeah, he seems he seems like a weird guy. Yeah. And that will definitely play into the next episode. Um, but before we get into I just want to say one thing I also really like about this episode is we're introduced to Toph. She's, at first, she's a wrestler. We find out she's actually the daughter of the richest family in the... I, I think they say richest family in the Earth Kingdom. Am I correct? I think you are. And, uh, but it turns out she's been keeping her wrestling a secret because her family coddles her because she's blind. Um, shenanigans happen. Um, there ends up being a conflict where it is revealed that Toph is actually a wrestler and she actually can handle herself. And then she goes to her parents it's like, look, you got to stop coddling me. I, I want to go on this adventure. I want to do this stuff. And any other show would be like, the parents would be like, you're right. <laughs> you know what? This, this one event that just happened in a third, in a less than 30 minute episode has changed our entire worldview on our own child. <laughs> and instead they're like, well, we realize now we've been giving you way too much freedom. <laughs> <laughs> and they just double down. And so Toph has to sneak out. And now not only are they on the run from the Fire Nation, but also people being hired by the richest family in the Earth Kingdom. And this just is, like, is a really impressive way of continuously weaving in the class elements of this season. Like, yes. of uh, uh, They have their own. So that's all they care about, and they welcome the avatar and his and his friends into their house after they arrive, right? And they're like, "Oh, like thank you, Mr. Yeah. Avatar, yada yada." Like, how long things can last? Total respect. But the moment he even threatens like their little family ecosystem and comfort zone, they're like, "No, get out!" Like that's it. We have ours. That's all we need. And Toph says, "Fuck that," basically, you know. And now she. That's always the the logical next step of these type of stories is you kind of do have to start looking at like the political element, especially if you, if you really believe in your fantasy setting mm-hmm. or not even fantasy setting. Cause I always think about if you watch uh, Sergio Leone films, the dollars trilogy are kind of just like a straight up series of Western adventures. There's a little bit of like an anti-war thing going on in the good, the bad and the ugly. Mm. But it's still mostly about three guys trying to find a treasure. <laughs> and, like, wealth doesn't really play, like, a huge role in what's going on. But as soon as you get into Once Upon a Time in the West, suddenly it is about the the politicals, the politics surrounding the construction of a railroad, which is what's driving the whole story. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's really what's going on in the West. It, it wasn't, like, this mythical place of cowboys and, you know people finding, like, their own land. It's literally, like, land barons and people stealing land and killing entire families just so they can build a fucking railroad. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, what starts kicking his stories up to another level, whereas, I mean, and then his next film, Duck You Sucker, is, like, straight up about a revolution. (laughs) And for anyone that hasn't seen um, Once Upon a Time in the West, take this opportunity to go do that. Because uh, oh, yeah. it's fantastic, doing? obviously, and I think this is good that you brought up westerns, and I think I know why you brought up westerns. Because if we can move to the next episode, Zuko alone, th- this is basically like the ultimate western episode of the it's, series. It's, it's Shane. Yeah, it's it's a Shane, but it's Avatar. It's Shane, but it's Zuko. 
That's the thing. Yeah, it's gr- it's great. Um, this is my um, favorite episode of the series, and I don't. That's not even like a controversial, like hot take thing. Like it, it is. It does top a lot of the best of Avatar lists. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's definitely the one I could pull aside to watch, like whenever the most. Because if I watch other episodes, I'm just gonna end up watching the whole thing again. Like <laughs> that's how my brain works. Oh, yeah. uh-huh. I would definitely like to just rewatch this episode all the time. Really, you really walk away with a good feeling. Oh, no, no. It, it is, like, gut-wrenchingly sad and depressing. But, yeah. like, it, I don't... Zook, it's a Zuko on a fun little adventure. No, no. It is... It, it's... <laughs> it really is, like, one of those postmodern westerns where it's like, oh, yeah, this isn't no. fun and exciting. This is deeply sad and there are serious problems in the world that haven't been addressed. And now these people are left to fend for themselves and it's not looking good. Well, it's like... It's that mix of, like... A, it's like, yeah, these people are... There's a lot of stuff that drives the world that's just awful. And things don't always get better. And also, the type of characters that we have turned into heroes through Westerns, that if you really sit down and think about them, are probably deeply fucked up people. And have probably gone through a lot of shit to end up where they are. Mm-hmm. Like, no one becomes a, 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 a cowboy loner by choice. <laughs> That's one of the things I, I want to see. Like, I, I'm, I'm done with superhero movies for a while, obviously, like like you are. But, like, something like Logan, you know, is obviously very inspired by Shane. Like, they call it out, like, several times in the actual film. Wait, are, are you saying Logan's a Western? I like, I like, I like Logan a lot. I, I do, too, so I'm not even, like, shit-talking it. But there is always the moment in those X-Men films just like, isn't Wolverine just fucking awesome? And like, yeah, there is like an element of how cool that is too, but I think they always need to go the little extra step. You know, I'd like to see Westerns make a comeback and I don't, I don't think that'll happen for a little while, but well, it's, it's hard because no one gives a shit about the West anymore. Mm -hmm. And we really shouldn't. Cause it's like, if you really think about it, it's like, Oh, how was the West one? Oh, through genocide and land grabbing mm-hmm. and violent political wars. <laughs> like, there's nothing romantic about the West. Like, that was all bullshit. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm so saying. Like, if, when they, if they come back, that's something that well, that's needs why, to be no, but focused on more. I think, I think the Western doesn't need to come back. But I think we need to, like, look at Westerns a little more. And I'm not even saying... I think a lot of people do. It's just studios don't want to. Mm-hmm. Because... So many themes from especially later era Westerns have just seeped in the popular culture that now we can explore it in different, more fantastical settings. Like you said, with like Logan being a Western, with this is very Western-inspired. Um, Star Wars has definitely been influenced by Westerns. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just think that we, we need to look at that because what's missing from so many films today, in my opinion, is the internal struggle of characters. I think that seems to be something that's fallen away. And if there is an internal struggle, it's something very simple and something that's cleanly resolved by the end of 90 minutes to two and a half hours. To bring it back to this episode, I think that's why I love revisiting it. Even though it is a deeply sad story, I get a lot of satisfaction out of something that's this well like made. You know, like Manhunter is like a happy place movie for me, but it's also a film that deals with just horrifying things in it, you know? But I love watching it. It makes me feel happy because it's so good. And this is like another situation like that. Um, which is also an episode with a striking color palette like Manhunter. 
Yeah, same. And this is, but this is also something where it's like, you could have seen them doing, like, an entire season of just Zuko on his own. Oh, God, yeah. But you, you could have done that, but they just did this one episode, and that kind of ended up being the right decision. Because it just, you don't need more after this. Yeah, it, it would have been cool, you know? And, like, everyone loves signing off on spinoffs now, because then more profit or whatever. But, yeah, this is totally all that it was needed. Uncle and Zuko are only separated for, like, two episodes. And, yeah. again, it's all you need. And, and, like I said, in my mind, I remember that separation being a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Like, I remembered it being, like, the whole season. <laughs> and instead it's, like... That's the thing where it's, like, when I think about what's coming ahead with Ba Sing Say, like, I... For some... It's just in my mind. I know it's not right, but, like, in my mind it's, like, that's two whole seasons in Ba Sing Say. <laughs> and it's, like, no, it's, like, maybe five episodes. <laughs> and it's, like, that's... It's kind of nuts to me how much they were able to pack into it. And I think part of why maybe I think that way is that I am going back to childhood where... It literally was once a week there'd be a new episode. So when I would see one of these, I would have to sit with it for a week before watching the next one. Yeah, and honestly, I'm glad that at least Disney Plus is doing that with stuff like The Mandalorian. I wish the pacing was better, but that's another problem entirely. No, I don't I don't need this at all. It, it, it de- all depends on what show you're doing, because I think it works well here. But when we get to Legend of Korra, I think Korra would have worked a lot better had it just, like, the whole season's just dropped all at once. Which is kind of what starts happening. Yeah, and then everyone started turning much more positive on it, you know? And I don't think that was a mistake either. And I think it's one of those things where, like, if it had been, like, oh, Legend of Korra going straight to Netflix or whatever, I think it would have been received a lot better than... Had it been like one episode at a time, although the, the the opposite of that is you probably wouldn't have gotten as strong a reaction to the final of Korra as we did mm-hmm. if it like if it all came out at once. Although I, I'm saying that now and I'm thinking about it, they kind of just did something similar on another children's animated show, and I don't want to give the name just because I don't want to spoil it. Okay, but that that it created a lot of waves when it happened. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe now. There's enough eyes on Netflix that if a show's popular enough, it will become, like, that sort of thing will leave the impact that it does. My expectation is that it will be received much more positively now that people will will rewatch it, like, as a whole and on a much faster pace. Without getting too into it, my only fear is that when I... You know, there's, there's a lot of talk about differences of opinion and whatnot. And, like, you know, anyone can think what they want. That's fine. But what's amazing to me is that when I read certain takes on Korra that are just factually wrong, <laughs> it's like they're just complete misreadings of the episodes. And that's what always, like, like that was the same thing with, like, you know, hate The Last Jedi all you want, but there was so much out there about it that was just wrong. Yeah, like the movie's not the showing first... you one thing, but they're saying it's doing another. Yeah. It, it was just like... It, it, it. That's what kind of drove me nuts about a lot of those discourses. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know, I think it's just like this weird thing where we've turned into people that like... At least when it comes to mainstream movies that we feel the need to spoon-feed everyone a lot of this stuff. And that's where I think the element of Westerns that have been left behind 
Because again, I always think about like there's that great moment in Fistful of Dollars where um, uh, Clint Eastwood's character saves that family and just shoots all the bandits. <laughs> and the woman's like, why are you doing this? And he was like, and he, I, I'm going to fuck up the line. But he's like, because something like that happened. I saw something like this happen once and no one was around to help. And that's like the only backstory we get on the man with no name. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like, that's all you need. And that's kind of what's happening here, although we do, except we do get Zuko's backstory. Yeah, and it's, I remember, like, the first time I watched it, I wasn't into the Zuko backstory, even though Zuko was, like, my boy, right? I was like, no, 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 I want to go back to, like, the Western stuff. That was so cool. But, um, like, now especially, it, it's just, like, so deeply sad and, and so good, but, like, so sad. Yeah, in terms of economic storytelling, I could... I like that they're both together, but I could see them being separate episodes. Mm-hmm. Like, I, again, another thing, like I said, with, and I think this is something Korra does more, where there's a lot more ambiguity, where it'd be interesting to just see Zuko reacting to things, but not explaining why he's reacting in that way. And that's another thing I feel like is getting lost, where a character will do an action, and you're like, why the fuck do they do that? That's an irrational thing to do. And the movie doesn't explain it because it's supposed to, in a perfect world, provokes the audience to maybe think about that character deeper. <laughs> but instead, it turns into like plot hole cinema sins bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and, so- and here, um, I also want to shout out the uh, the way that the episode plays off the um, like the gray areas. I know that's like a weird like trigger word now because of like discourse, but like. In terms of the the Earth Kingdom, we, we we've already seen that this is like the last bastion against the Fire Kingdom, Fire Nation, and in the first episode of the season, we already saw like a crazed general, like who's lost his mind due to the war, and now we're seeing like basically lower level war profiteering with the soldiers like yeah. <laughs> guarding the town, but really they're just kind of running it because it's an easy like picking situation, you know. You know, in a weird way, it does. It reminds me a little bit of the writings of Ambrose Bierce, who was a Western writer back in the day. Um, who we also don't know when he died because he disappeared. Oh, okay. Um, he wrote an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. I have not read it. Oh well, you don't need to read, but it's, it's a famous Twilight Zone episode. Oh, okay. No, yeah, no, don't don't remember that one. All right, all right. Um, well, I won't spoil it, but uh, it involves a man being hung off a bridge uh and it's a uh it a man being hung by union soldiers because they were occupying the south and there was a law that anyone that even approaches railroads will be deemed a saboteur so it's an innocent man who's going to be hung because he was caught near the railroad by union soldiers And, and a lot of ambrose beer's writing was like a lot about like all these stories about heroes of the war and stuff like that and a lot of stuff was like there were a lot of people in the war too that weren't heroes <laughs> and that's a little uh, it, it gets a little more complicated of course because uh, after his era we suddenly get all the revisionist history about the noble south mm. and the lost cause and all that shit but that's in my opinion that's not what his writing's about <laughs> but he, he wrote a lot of stuff like that where it's like, yeah, you know, there were there were heroes, but there were also people in war who were just fucking scumbags. Yeah, and they're clearly taking advantage of, like, these economic downtrodden people, you know? Yeah, and that's, 
And that's something where it's like the naivete of a lot of these stories, especially with Zuko. Zuko even has that too, where he's so he's so laser focused on restoring his honor and all his shit that he doesn't think about the you know political implications of a lot of the things happening around him, and he doesn't think about like what does it mean for a war to actually happen. <laughs> and this is it, it, it. What's weird about this show is that. What I, I both like and also I think makes a reading of it always a little troubling is that the Fire Lord that will be faced at the end is just like straight up evil. <laughs> There's no like redeeming backstory given to that guy. There's also just like it, the show makes sure to go like there's a lot of things that cause a war to happen, not just an asshole leader. <laughs> yeah, and uh, to get to Star Wars again... A lot of the the bad faith discourse are about the politics of Star Wars and like they're shoving it down our throats. Like I don't care that it's there, but it's not subtle, and I want to in like to make sense in the story. And like the truth is, most of the politics of Star Wars make perfectly fine sense. If yeah. uh, there there are just bad faith readings about people not wanting to read into it, right? And a lot of the discourse leading into Rise of Skywalker in the YouTube area, at least, was always people saying, like, I want to see a huge Lord of the Rings-style battle with Star Wars. And you do basically get that in Rise of Skywalker, but then there's no, like, political or ideological motivation between the ships and the battles and the stakes, right? Like, there's none of that progressing in the story, naturally. You can like the movie or dislike it or disagree with me, whatever. That's my reading of it. And to me, that's weightless by that point. Whereas, you know, the beauty of The Last Airbender and the tragedy of it is that you see all the inner workings of how these people and places got to be where they are now that we're watching them. And this is kind of like a little nexus point of that, I guess. Yeah, like, you know, I I understand. Although, that's a fucking bad reading of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I know. That's not the point of Lord of the Rings battles either. (laughs) uh, Well, it's also like the climax of Lord of the Rings wasn't the battle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's uh, whatever. People drive me nuts. I know, I know. But it's also not a, it's not a perfect film. But one thing I really like about the movie Skyfall is that it starts out with like a huge action set piece, and as the movie goes on, it, like each action sequence gets smaller and smaller. Yeah, I really like that structure. Yeah, where it's just where by the end it's just two people facing down in a church, which is what I think. Is, which is what I want to see more in movies. But if you do that, people walk away confused. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, literally, it was like... And even like even Last Jedi copped to the idea that we should end with a straightforward battle, but it did end with, like, a gigantic battle, you know? Yeah. And it, it ends on a more quiet duel, and that was enough to fucking drive people nuts. And that the fact that the battle is really just like, we need to get out of here and survive. It's not like a victorious, like, we did it! You know, it's like, okay, we yeah. survived. Now we can figure out how to, to win the day. Which is l- literally the entire plot of Empire Strikes Back. I, I know. it, And it, I know. <laughs> I'm just so mad all and the time. It's like, like, my mind is just blown. It's like, I, I just, it's one of those things where, like, I don't want to act like I'm a fucking... Like I'm an idiot is the point. I'm I'm dumb. I like I'm just a guy who just watches this stuff. I just can't imagine that so many other people are watching exactly what I'm watching and just not seeing it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
it makes you feel like a crazy person. <laughs> yeah, I've, uh. I don't understand nothing. Uh, oh, also shout out in this episode to to our girl Lauren McMullen, who has like continuously just done like A plus work on this series. And I didn't realize she had she had directed my favorite episode, Duke Alone. It directed by a woman, written by a woman. This episode, yeah. So, oh, there you go. One episode written by a woman, and it's an episode that's also uh, interesting because uh, again, we're talking about the show getting into about people's emotions and trying to like be true to yourself. And what's so like upsetting about the flashbacks and then flash forwards to the present is how much of a different person Zuko is in both stories. Just the the giant gulf between the two timelines. And it's really depressing. (laughs) Because it's like Zuko could have been a completely different person. (laughs) And now he's not that person. And in in a simpler story, it would end with something like, oh, you know, Zuko, you can always be that person, and that's just not true. It's like, now you got to be something else. You have to be a combination of who you were, who you became, and what you're going to be. And that's, that's, it's really upsetting. It's just so tragic. Like, I mean, there, there's no really other words for it. it. It's the saddest thing, um, and, and, you know, in that superhero fashion as well, it's, it's an idea that they also take from Westerns, where, uh, like... They're battling to save a, a world or a people that they can't really be a part of because of, like, a call of duty or something like that. And here, Zuko does do that, but it's, he doesn't leave because of, like, some greater calling or something like that. He leaves because they reject him, you know, yes. because of his origins, basically. And he even tries to, like, make some, like, like consolation by giving the kid the knife and he won't even take it. Yeah, and the kid tells him, I hate you. Yeah. Then he walks away. Yeah. Which is not how Shane ends. No, no, it is not how Shane ends. <laughs> that is not how Shane ends. Um, although both make me cry. Mm-hmm. So there's that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the, the ending of this doesn't really make me cry. What does genuinely upset me is uh, Azula telling young Zuko that father's going to kill him. Oh, yeah, which... Which might be the most upsetting thing I've watched in a long time. And not she sings, she like sings it to him. There's a rhythm to it, which is just yeah. like straight up psychotic. Like there is something wrong it's, with that. Her as yeah. a child. We'll get more into Azula in like maybe two episodes, but that was uh, not a great moment. Yeah, we we can actually get into it like in a minute because it is the next episode. Uh, the well, next shape. episode's. Uh, I, I want to save it for uh, episode nine. Okay. Okay. Because I, I got I got a point to make. All right. That's that's fair. Yeah. Um. I was saying it's uh, um. I don't know. It's just it's so sad watching young Zuko. And I I, she is telling the truth, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean, <laughs> and that's why. Okay. So there's there's obviously like a lot of like debate about what. Zuko's mom does or why she has to leave she kills the fire lord right yeah that's that I think that's implied and I think that was confirmed in comics later okay okay but, but even that even without that I mean that's what is heavily being implied here mm-hmm. 
is that that was part of what was going on here. And here's the thing, though. If I, I also think it was confirmed that Zuko was going to be killed in the comic, but I don't think that's the reading you can get from this episode. What I think is the reading you can get is that it's entirely plausible that his father would kill him. Mm-hmm. Like, which is, is just as scary as if it was actually going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a hard episode. Just at the end with her being like, who's going to help you now, you fuck? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> the truth is, also, no one. Zuko's yeah. alone. Hence the title of the Zuko's episode. Alone. Although, the other thing we don't, which hasn't happened, the truth is he won't be alone because Uncle Iroh's on his way back. Yay! Even though he was just had the throne taken away from him. <laughs> oh, oh. Um, I, I thought you were talking about the which, present, uh, but yeah, the past story too. <laughs> Oh, yeah, in the past, he doesn't show up because Zuko is alone. Um, but Uncle Iroh, you can assume that Uncle Iroh in this time is when he started developing more of a connection with Zuko. And maybe if Zuko didn't recognize it, Iroh became his only confident in the, confidant in this time. Mm-hmm. Um, but this also, there's a there's that moment where they get a letter from Iroh uh, about him invading Ba Sing Se. And he's like, I hope you kids get to see it before we burn it down. Ha <laughs> like, ha Yeah. That's... Which is like that compl- the other side of Iroh that we haven't seen up to this point. Which is the before Iroh, before he loses his son. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a little like, that's a little like kid logic where it's like, oh, the moment his son dies, he has this w- awakening. Mm-hmm. Uh, although you could argue that that's not really what happened. That his son died and then just that weakness is what allowed his younger brother to take the throne from him and that probably just is what resulted in Iroh doing a lot of self-reflecting yeah so that maybe the powers he's serving are not actually like a good thing because mm-hmm. maybe he was the son where it's like all his leadership and skill came natural to him Maybe it was like Captain Kirk and never had to face the no-win scenario. And then he loses his son, and then it's like, even if he wins, he'll still have lost his son, and that kind of broke him as a person. Mm-hmm. Very sad. Yeah, yeah. Um, incredible little episode here. Uh, like, a true work of art. And so the next episode involves Azula and her warrior woman riding super speedy lizard things that can dodge attacks and Appa's sleepy and this is like a this is straight up Empire Strikes Back like asteroid sequence level tension it, yeah it's that but it's also a little bit of uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid if to reference another western there we go um, which is uh, oh, what's the guy's name that's chasing him oh fuck hang on this is gonna kill me hang on hang on <laughs> The force. They're being chased by Indian tracker Lord Baltimore and the relentless lawman Joe LaForce. Okay, so you had it right. The first, or the second one. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was just LaForce, but it's Joe LaForce. Mm. And I know LaForce because uh, in the movie Mallrats, the mall cop is named LaForce and has the same hat. But that's a. You know what? I, um. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is one of those things where it's like, it's a really fun movie, but when the, that chase starts happening, it is genuinely, like, like intense. Yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> like, up until then, they're just fun bandits, and now they've met their match. Yeah, well, it hits you with, like, a grim reality, basically. <laughs> and that's kind of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like, now they're up against someone. First of all, it's kind of like, 
not to dunk on poor Zuko, but it's kind of like how much of a clown he might have been. Because <laughs> now, like, you get Azula, who's actually trying to catch him, <laughs> and actually taking efforts to catch the Avatar. And it's like Zuko just, like, futzed around for, like, an entire season. I know, like, look at the time difference. Like, he spends the entire season only bumping into the Avatar occasionally. Azula's like, now I'm gonna hunt the Avatar. Let's see, five episodes after that decision... Yeah. That's, well, that's it. She, she catches up to the Avatar and she has a plan. She's got this machine and she's got like the things they're riding. She's got her friends. She put the, she put together a whole fucking team. And and then it's like you cut the Zuko and they just happen to run into pirates. <laughs> be, and it's like they also just happen to be in the area because fucking Uncle Iroh lost his one piece to his fucking board game. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like that's the only reason they keep in like overlapping oh and that one's even better because he's at the end of the episode he's like oh look it was in my pocket the whole time <laughs> yeah and that's also in season one is the moment where they're like tracking the avatar and he's doing like it's like it's a clear diversionary formation this this avatar's a tactical genius and then they cut the egg and they're like you're lost aren't you and he's like yep <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, not the case here. Um, It's like a master work in, like, building tension. Like, it just never lets up in this episode. (laughs) Even when, like, Toph and Iroh meet and they just have, like, a cup of tea. Like, there's always this little, like, thrill building in the background. Well, it's also, like, it's it's a fun moment, but it's also, like, what if the other person discovers who the other person is or who they're working for? Mm hmm so there's always, like, an underlying tension. Kind of reminds me of, uh... Remember in, like, Game of Thrones Season 1? There's that scene where it's, like, Arya and, um... Tywin? Uh, season 2, but yeah. Se- season 2? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because this is after, uh... What's-his-name's been executed, mm-hmm. so yeah, you're right. Season 2, and she's serving under Tywin. And it's like, they have, like, a good conversation, but it's also like, better not find out who they are. Like... <laughs> Which is also something that I don't believe was in the books. No, it was one of those moments yeah. of the show where it was like, oh, wow, this is even more compelling. Like, it's, it's brought all the pieces together. Yeah, it was that moment where it was like, you know what? Even if they get ahead of the books, if these guys with the skills they got at writing these scenes, they'll still be able to bring this thing in for a landing. <laughs> <laughs> Time has, pro- has made us all fools. But here, they, they stick a hell of a landing of... Uh, for this episode, but we'll, we'll get there in a second because I just want to talk a little bit about like the the new dynamic of the group. Like usually, when the lineup changes for a cast of characters in a, in a TV show or a story or whatever, like you get a moment to settle in with them and then you challenge the status quo. They don't even have that. Like this is like basically immediately after Toph left with them, and they're already just not. Or her and Katara are already not getting along. And it's making them uncomfortable. And then you have Azula's, like, squad chasing after them, like, day and night, basically. To the point where Appa's passing out in the sky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which is which is not a great moment. No, no. It's very uh, uh-huh. disheartening. But it's also one of those things where it's like, I remember starting this, again, right? I don't remember these episodes being the same episode where, you know what another show that does that for me? Oddly enough, is Seinfeld. (laughs) 
where you'll sit down and be like, oh, this is the episode where uh, George fakes something. Like, like you remember one plot, but then it's like, oh, yeah, it's also like these three other classic storylines. <laughs> so that's an odd comparison. Yeah, Avatar The Last Airbender and Seinfeld are basically the same show. It's the exact same show. Yeah. Um, both are shows about nothing, as that, which is why we are struggling to talk about it. <laughs> um, remember when you almost talked me do, into doing a Seinfeld retrospective? I know. Well, Sokka is basically George Costanza. You know what? You're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, Sokka's not as pure evil as George Costanza. <laughs> no, no, of course not. George Costanza faked being handicapped. <laughs> just so he could get a private bathroom. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, um, oh god, I was saying something. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, oh yeah, like I said, I don't remember all these stories being the same episode, and it's like any other show where it starts out where it's like Katara and Toph are like clashing in terms of how they, they work as people. That would be the whole episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and instead it's like, no, there's also this big chase happening. <laughs> and, which is much better... Because also it's like, you know, I think it's more reflective of actual struggles where it's like, you know, like sometimes you'll be like in a fight with someone who you also have to work with because you're also dealing with another issue on top of that. <laughs> I mean, that's that's more reflective of actual conflicts in life. And it's not it's also not super neatly resolved. It's more like they just kind of resolve it for the sake of resolving it. Yeah. And those characters do continuously butt heads quite often. And, like, it, it, it makes sense, too, given their personalities. You know, like, Toph, as an earthbender, and as, like, a literal master earthbender, uh, is very grounded in her ways, whereas Katara has been more fluid, and, like, she can adapt better to situations, and Toph is, you know, it's literally, like, a rock in a hard place. Yeah. Which is... And nice. it's also, uh, I gotta say, I think I know why I identify with Toph, because I, I definitely have a lot of Toph attitudes. <laughs> Where it's like, no, don't worry, I took care of all my stuff, I'm good. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but you know, we gotta do stuff. And I'm like, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> I, I can be that asshole sometimes. It's, it's a, I understand it's a character flaw, but sometimes Matt gotta be Matt. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, this is also the first episode where um, Ty Lee is hinted at having a crush on Sokka, which I just think is really funny and i'm i'm glad it's not played into too early but i i just i i think it's so funny like they're like this war criminals hunting down for blood and also like hey that guy's kind of cute like because they are just like kids at the end of this still yeah i think there's something uh, well i think that's what this thing with where again i don't want to go i don't want to play my azula card just yet but I think one of the things that's going on is a lot of the show is that they are kids, and a lot of them still treat what they're doing like kid stuff. Azula's only crime is that she woke up to the game before everyone else. I think she's got more and than that as a crime, but I, I know, know what I know, you're what saying. I'm saying is, I'm saying is that she's the one who understands that when they catch these people, they're going to kill them. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Whereas... I think maybe, like, me and Tylee are like, yep, we caught the bad guys. And then it's like, all right, bye now. <laughs> it's like, you know, like, they're even like, oh, it'll be fun to see Zuko again. And it's like, you realize Zuko's going to be executed by his father. <laughs> <laughs> if you catch him. 
And it's like they, they clearly don't. <laughs> but Azula knows, and what's fucked up is that she's cool with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they, they go off. They come up with a plan uh, once they realize that Avatar Aang and the gang are being tracked by Appa's shedding. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they, they split up. They make a diversion. Sokka and Katara uh, take care of Mei and Tai Lee with Appa. And then Aang draws out Azula. And there's this amazing bit when Zuko shows up and uh, Azula's like, Zuzu. And then Aang's like half asleep, like, Zuzu? <laughs> like, like, what is that? And I don't know why. That always just kills me when he hears that Zuko's pet name is Zuzu. And like, they do this funny cut where they're cutting between like Zuko and Azula's death stare. And they cut to Aang and he can like barely stand. <laughs> <laughs> It looks like a meme. Like, I'm surprised it's not a meme yet. Maybe I'll make it a meme. And then everyone teams up against Azula at the end. Aang, Sokka, Katara, Toph, Zuko, and Uncle Iroh. Which is amazing. Yeah, good moment. Yeah. And then Azula's like, alright, I know when I'm beating that surprise. And she, she strikes Iroh with lightning. And I'm not gonna lie, when I first saw this, I thought, oh my god, no. Uh, I thought that was it for him. For a second, because the episode does not end on an answer for his uh, his status. It ends with Zuko yeah. not allowing Katara to help them because he's so angry and doesn't know how to deal with that shit. Because um, he's a big old sad boy. Yeah, he, he is. He is a big old sad boy. And uh, I, I thought that was it for Uncle Iroh. It was not, thankfully, because the next episode we just see yeah. he was in a massive amount of pain and his whole, like, upper yes. body is bandaged, which makes sense when you're struck by lightning. But um, <laughs> I, was, I was very happy to see that was not the case. Yeah, that would, that would be upsetting. And he just died like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, Azula's a stone-cold killer, and she did probably kill, like, a bunch of the people on her initial ship, uh, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, but the the next episode, Bitter Work, uh, all of these are fan-favorite episodes that we're talking about today, basically, for lots of reasons. Yeah. And um, this one I just saw was ranked, like, number one on a recent list of, of best Avatar episodes. I don't agree, but it's it's totally up there. This is a fantastic episode. And it's where Aang finally gets down and dirty to learn about earthbending. And he just can't get it because earthen... And air are so, like, dramatically different. He can't ground himself yet. And I like it a lot. <laughs> and Toph pulls a, a whiplash. It's like, not my tempo. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> oh, my God, this is Avatar's whiplash. <laughs> this kind of yeah. is. <laughs> oh, and uh, uh, Zuko learns about uh, redirecting lightning. Yeah, so it's like Iroh's training Zuko and Toph's training Aang. Mm-hmm. And Zuko and uh, Sokka's stuck in a hole. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, and this is uh, the episode with Fufu Cuddly Poops, who you did not remember yep. on our first recording. I, I did not. I did not. Yeah. And then it came back to me mm-hmm. when I watched the episode. Yeah. You know why? That's the type of thing I would... It, I understand why that left my brain. Why? It's That's cute. I'm not like... Yeah, I'm not like, you know... Because I feel like that's something where I probably heard dozens of people say that over and over again. Mm -hmm. 
And I was like, I don't want this to stay in my brain. <laughs> okay, I guess you could just do that. That's just nice. <laughs> well, cause, you know, it's funny when it happens the one time, and then it's not when you hear it three dozen times. Um, this, this is definitely a great episode. Um, but this is where I want to make my point about uh, Azula, who isn't in the episode. I know, that's why I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? Because <laughs> here, here's something that... Uh, I don't know if I want to say it's stuck in my craw a little bit, but it definitely stuck in... It, it's something I couldn't ignore when it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so Zuko's taking care of Iroh, and Zuko's like, look, I I gotta get better because I gotta stop Azula. I know you're gonna tell me not to because she's my sister. And Iroh's like, no, she's crazy and has to be stopped or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Which look, is understandable, from a guy who just got shot with lightning from her. <laughs> I would probably feel the same way about someone who did that to me. But, um... I'm starting to think maybe Azula hasn't been afforded the kind of depth that other characters were afforded on this show. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. she needs to be redeemed. It, it feels like she was kind of just like a bad egg from the start. I have actually felt a little similar on my rewatch with this. And the fact that this episode does... Uh, every once in a while you get these great parallel episodes between Aang and Zuko. And I like that this is just a recurring trend now. But um, they're also afforded these mentors that basically nourish their like life education properly. You know, Aang and Zuko traveling the world, that's just bound to happen. You know, that's more often than not experiencing the world does open your mind up to possibilities and, and experiences. Uh, and Azula being so confined to the fire nation and her, her father's right hand child, basically, uh, I, I think has offered the writers an easy out into just making her an unsympathetic villain. And I think they they do fill in the blanks a little bit later on pretty well. But I think it is okay to say you probably could have gone a little deeper with like how Azula got to that mentality. Because literally every other child on this show, because she is also a child, is given more to work with. And again, does not mean she needs to be undergoing some massive redemption arc or anything like that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, what, it's one of the things that's made me actually want to buy the comic books. Because I, 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 from what I understand, they go a little bit more in-depth mm-hmm. there. And I would just like to see it. Like, you know, I, I don't know if that redeems the show as in terms of a flaw because that's, you know, a, a separate work. Mm-hmm. Which could easily be ignored by people who watch the show. Mm-hmm. As I have for many years. Same. Um, but it was just to me, it felt like just to write her off as crazy was, you know, I don't know, especially because we, we see it, there's an argument to be made that the flashbacks we see in, um, the Zuko alone episode are tainted from being entirely from Zuko's perspective. And so maybe he painted himself with a more sympathetic brush and then his sister with a less sympathetic brush, you know? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not an entirely reliable story, but we also don't seem to see a whole lot to the contrary. 
as things go on. Um, here and there, but not a ton. And I just it got me thinking, like, what was what was her relationship with her mother? Um, and also, there's a scene where Iroh writes that letter, and he said he gives Zuko a knife, which also shows that Iroh probably did not understand his nephew at the time, because yeah. <laughs> Zuko definitely did not come across as a kid who would want a knife. And then he gave a doll to Azula. And she burns it. And it, just, it got me thinking, like, maybe she resented, you know, trying to be confined into that that sort of box, you know, as women are often confined. Um, and maybe she looked at her mother, who clearly was not in a good relationship with the father, and maybe she in a way resented her mother for letting that happen to her. You know, there's there's a lot of talk, especially when there's like an abusive parent. If the father's abusive, a lot of the times the child will resent the mother just as much, if not more, for staying with the father or putting up with him. You know, it's a weird psychological effect that happens. And I, I just wonder if there was something like that going on with Azula that I would like to see revealed. Again, I don't need her... To be like, suddenly she's part of Team Avatar. I'm totally fine with her going down as a villain. Because, you know, a lot of awful people in the world have fucked up backstories. <laughs> um, including the sitting president of the United States. Who probably has never had a happy day in his life. And on a basic human level, I do empathize with it. But at the same time, I think he should go to prison. <laughs> So, I don't know, it's it's weird to maybe throw that out in this episode, which is so much about the elements and how they relate to each other and finding, like, an inner peace. I just, it's Again, it's just, it's weird where we're given this introspective stuff for other characters, including Zuko, who was a pretty one-dimensional villain in the first season. But we're, it's the same isn't afforded to Azula. The only perspective we get on her is from other characters, you know. There's one episode where, yeah. or maybe two at most, where you, you do get more of her own perspective. But they're definitely later in the game, and they don't do anything to help understand uh, how she got into that mindset. It's just her mindset one now. Thing that, one thing that doesn't help either is that whenever she does, does something incredibly evil and awful, she's always laughing. <laughs> Yeah, that's not great. Okay, <laughs> which, well... Which, which kind of... I mean, look, hey, I'm totally fine with doing that. I just want a little more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I can totally believe someone could end up like that. I just... I, I think that she should be given her day in court. Well... Is all I'm saying. Speaking of days in court, the... Do uh, you know who the writer was for this one? Oh, yeah, our, our, our buddy. Oh, don't call him that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that has a little something to do with that that Iro line about uh, no, she's crazy well, and she needs to go down. Yeah. It is weird that they, that the moments where I'm always like, that's a little weird, always seem to pop up in his episodes. Yeah. I don't even know if that's a thing. Like honestly, I could just be. It could be entirely coincidental. <laughs> but we should say his ex-wife who wrote the last episode, <laughs> which was like remarkable with empathizing with characters. Yeah. I mean, the second to last episode. Sorry, I totally skipped the chance. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but on the... to Back to the element side of this episode, too. I do like that 
between Aang and Zuko, Aang has to learn to balance between Earth and Air to to um, head into the next phase of his Avatar education. And Zuko has to understand the balance between th- the movements of fire and water bending to learn to redirect yeah. lightning. And so you're covering like all this huge like variety of bases uh, with with the the nature of the series. And I don't know that that's really cool. That just struck me this last time I watched it, and I was like, "Oh wow, this is really clever writing." Yeah, and it's also a moment of you get like a view of how he's been raised, where like Fire Nation's best nation, he's just been told that like his way superior, and Iroh's more worldly has been like, "Hey, you know, I learned all this shit from hanging out with the other guys." <laughs> And by hanging out, I mean invading their countries. But hey. I mean, at, at some point, there is the implication that he he was more benevolent in his education with that. But I, it's it's not it's not a black and white thing. I think, although there was maybe a lot you know, of bad things he did in that time well, too. Again, like I said, with like with someone afforded a better arc, Ira, who is very much probably a war criminal. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also like a moment where. You get the reading that he probably went out to war, probably didn't have a great relationship with his father, and was like, when I become Fire Lord, I'm going to do a better job. And so he went out and trying to replace his father, and then came back, and eventually became a guy who's like, nah, man, fuck the system. (laughs) Which is the real arc you should go Mm -hmm. through. Because if you try to be a better version of your father, you're just always going to fail. That should not be a goal. Oh my god, Iroh is basically just like Luke Skywalker. Hey, kind of similar things. Although Luke wasn't a war criminal. Yeah. Hey, no, he kind of was. He blew up that dust. Oh star. shit, that's right. You know there was like fucking like Janet. Okay, and shit Kevin Smith. I I know that joke. <laughs> I know. I didn't even realize I was referencing Clerks until I was halfway <laughs> through my point. But what I'm saying is, you know. Hey, and hey, he doesn't blow. Luke was a he terrorist. blows up the first Death Star. And that one is the one yeah. filled with the space Nazis. The second one is the one with the contractors. Yeah, but you know, in an empire the size of the empire, you know there was, you know, gotta be some guy who's just running the phones. <laughs> Death Star Hotline, how can I help you? It's like, last contract I signed with the government, and then boom, <laughs> dead. Stupid. So stupid. <laughs> hey, I just, you know, shit happens. It's a complicated world. Yeah. Aang fights a moose lion. Yeah, that's an interesting combination. That, that feels like they're at this point, they're just like spinning a wheel <laughs> and then combining two animals. Well, in the Zuko episode, there's like a pig chicken. Okay, because not only is it a moose lion, it's like the size of a barn. <laughs> well, because I think it's it's not just a mountain lion. It looks like a saber-toothed tiger, which is like weird. I mean, I like it because I like I, I love saber tooth tigers. I wish they still existed, honestly, because I want to pet one. But that that won't happen. Yeah, that seems like a smart idea. If they're a ba- if they're like a baby one, you know. I guess I pet uh, baby tigers. Yeah. Um, when I I there was a zoo near where I grew up, and uh, they had the tigers had babies. And my dad knew a guy and got me in the room. Oh wow! Oh my god! So you got to live so, out that scene from Manhunter. Yeah, it was a little different than that. <laughs> but, um, I honestly, I was so young. I was like four, so I barely remember it. Unfortunately. Oh okay. Uh, but hey, still an interesting story. Yeah. Um. Very interesting for this podcast. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure everyone at home listening to this is like, yeah. I think everyone loved. 
I think people love it when I go off on tangents about things that only happen to me and only matter to me. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's what the show's about. It's about me. <laughs> the protagonist of life. Toph just straight straight up throws, like, boulders at Aang. I know, right? Like, she's very into the, the tough love thing, and it's like, this is... Already that, like, raises questions, but also <laughs> boulders. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, she does not take it easy on Aang. And, you know, Katara's no. there, like, you know, Aang responds to, uh, uh, like, supportive comments, you know? Like, that was positive good. Positive approach. Positive reinforcement. And then Toph is like, oh, okay. Boulder. Yeah. <laughs> While Sokka is still sucking a hole. Like, that's all he does this episode. He's just stuck in a it hole. It is great that he is he is just stuck in a hole. Like, all these, like, deeper stuff about, like, the elements and then the relationship to each other. But also, like, inner character turmoil. And then it's just, he's stuck in a hole. Oh, my God. It's so good when Aang finds him. And you're like, oh, you know, can't complain. And it's like, he's stuck in a hole. <laughs> And so Aang's just, like, unloading on his, like, inner turmoil about it. And Sokka is still stuck in a hole. <laughs> like, he could be trying to get him out that entire time, but it doesn't even, like, register with him. And so, like, I don't know. That's Aang's not really self-centered a lot of the time. And when it does happen, it's always really funny to me. <laughs> you know, it's not that his problems are, like, invalid. It's just, like, you know... Sokka's stuck at all. I do really like that Aang, like, it makes sense for him as the Avatar where, like, he can master stuff so easily, but then the moment he struggles, he just immediately wants to give up. Because, like, he just can't, like, he's just so down on himself. It's like every child prodigy you've ever known. <laughs> Which, in contrast with Zuko, who, who even says at some point in this episode that the world's never held back on him before, you know? Like, he's struggled through, like, his entire life to to find his own voice. And, you know, it, he doesn't get it in this episode still. And all he can do is just kind of yell at God in the sky. Because <laughs> uh, Iroh won't shoot lightning at him to learn to redirect it. He was just showing him the movement. So Zuko was like... Yeah, he's like, what are you... I'm not going to fucking shoot lightning at you, you dumb <laughs> Yeah, he's like, what are you, crazy? <laughs> like... I'm gonna kill you. That's a great moment. But it's also that thing where it's like Zuko, he, he still lacks what like that deeper thing he needs to get to. Because mm-hmm. he only is getting the, the, the surface of what's happening. Yeah. It's like, no, man, I try to teach you something about yourself. And then it's like, nope. Yeah, so that... Uh, that all the Zuko shit in season two is just, like, tragic. He's yeah. so, like unsure and angry and he doesn't even know who to lash out at properly or not that you can lash out properly but you know what i mean like like he's just a mess and then uh oh zuko i'm sure you'll i'm sure you'll do the right thing in the end and so we move on to the next episode the desert no the library the library oops never mind the library (laughs) you're right which is on the edge of the desert well it's kind of kind of kind of in the desert it's not like there's we're somewhere around Barstool at the edge of the desert when the drugs began to take hold. Anyways. <laughs> well, we'll get back Fear to that. <laughs> Fear and loathing in the owl library place. Oh, yeah, there's a giant owl spirit. And I love owls, but I used to be petrified of them. And I think I've told the story of why before. Uh, an owl lunged at me 
through the trees at my grandma's house. And it is so terrifying how big they can get. Yeah. Um, so this, this, this episode brought back some images, but, uh. I they, like it. They look like goofy fucks until they lash out. Yeah, yeah, their claws are very large. I was always scared of the uh, the great owl from uh, fucking the Secret of Nim. I've ne- I've never seen the Secret of Nim. Oh, you should you should check that movie out. It's pretty good. Okay, I'll check it out. It's a it's a weird one because mm. it's like as a kid I forgot it was about hyper intelligent rats. <laughs> what? I didn't yeah, know that. I thought plot. it was like some weird like folklore thing. The plot of that movie is about that there were these rats that were experimented on and now they're super intelligent and they can build cities. Oh, wow. I But the real plot is about a mom trying to get medicine for her sick boy. I can't really wrap my brain around that right now, but I, know. I, I wow. <laughs> huh. I rewatched it like a year ago and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's what this movie's about." Uh, but the library is not about rats that can build cities. It is about discovering what happened on the darkest day in Fire Nation history. And what Sokka eventually discovers in the library beneath the sand in the city run by... Um, what's the... What's the... What, Wanshi Tong? Wanshi Tong, he who knows a thousand things. Um, is that... Big Al. Yeah, yeah. Is that an eclipse happened. Who I could have sworn... I could have sworn he was voiced by Jeffrey Combs, but it's actually Hector Elizondo. Okay, who does Hector? Combs? It sounds. I mean, not not. Um, I know who he is, but like uh, Reanimator. But like, what is he in this show? I feel like he is. Oh, I hope he is. I totally don't remember. Okay, I'm gonna have to look it up. After I will this. now look it up. Okay, you look it up now. <laughs> you talk, and and I'll look. Jeffrey it up. Combs. I couldn't say. Why did I say Hector yeah. Combs? What the fuck? Anyway, well, because I said Hector Elizondo. There you go. Um. Yes, Sokka finds out that an eclipse happened in, in the Fire Nation, and that caused all the firebenders to lose their bending. So it was literally the darkest day in Fire Nation history. And they also meet this, this like wacky librarian dude, or, or university professor, excuse me, from the University of Ba Sing Se. And he joins them on their little desert quest, and it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, and then it gets really scary, and then it gets very serious. Very serious. It's a great episode. I'm not sure if there's a lot I can say about it, um, other than I like it, and it gets a little deeper into like the nature of man. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I but I sadly have to report that Jeffrey Combs has never been on either Avatar series. Fuck! I don't know why that made me it's so mad. <laughs> this he, I gotta say though, it's he sounds like Jeffrey Combs. He tol- he's totally doing the reanimator like, voice. Yeah, I, 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 it just it's it's what the voice sounds like. You know, like he could tell Sokka, like, "Who's gonna believe a talking head? Get a job in a sideshow." You know, like, exactly. like it's all right there. Also, everyone watched Reanimator, and, which is fantastic. And Washington does take heads. He's got them on the wall. Oh shit, that's right. <laughs> For kids, or the the knowledge spirit. If you fuck with him, he's gonna bury you alive and rip your head off. Yeah, that's like terrifying. He's like, no, humans don't deserve the knowledge anymore. So I'm gonna bury it in the sand. That is a very like uh, like Tower of Babel type story, and it's just nestled in the middle of the second season. Yeah, and also doesn't come back up. I think until like Legend of Korra. Yeah, oh, I wanted to keep that one a secret, but that's okay. That's okay. 
That's fine. Yeah. Some stuff comes but, back in the sequel series. Surprise. Believe it or not. Yeah. Um. And Toph stays outside of the the library though because she's blind and can't see. So she's. Oh yeah, that's that's also pretty. Funny. Yeah. And so she stays outside with with Appa. It's funny until it's not. Yeah, and then uh, they run across some sandbenders when they, they meet up with the university professor who helps them look for the library. And uh, those sandbenders eventually track them down and kidnap Appa. And it's it's very sad because seeing Appa in trouble is never fun. And it's it's very stressful and upsetting. And Aang is naturally heartbroken. And uh, it's, not, it's not a good time for anyone. I just did one of those things where, like, Sometimes in a story, it's like you have to remove an element from the story to, like... Like, sometimes you accidentally put an element in that could, like, break the whole story. Mm-hmm. So you have to get rid of it, like, at some point or immediately after introducing it. And I was, like, thinking, like, that happened in another series, and I can't remember which one. And I remembered, and it was fucking Dobie and uh, Dobie the Elf. Dobby. And Dobby. Who gives a shit? He's dead. <laughs> um, but... He uh, he shows up in Deathly Hollows, and then he's like, "I can teleport anywhere," and then he dies because you have to kill him. Because if you just had him around, it would solve half the problems they have to deal with for the rest of the time. <laughs> so then he gets the most horrifying and gruesome death ever. I, it's so oh my god! I can't believe they ended the movie like that too. The audience was like in tears. Yeah, but they fucked it up in the movie. I, I thought it was executed well, but whatever. That movie's. Balls, no, but no, no part one's really good. But anyways, yeah. No, <laughs> they cut the they cut the best part of the book. But I don't, I don't even remember. I won't revisit for a while for reasons. Um, but yeah, but... I don't think I will ever revisit. <laughs> That's one I've seen. I've got everything I can get out of Harry Potter. It's like I reread the books. I like for thankfully, like last year, I decided I'll reread the books. <laughs> and it was one of those things where it was like, yeah, you know, there's some fucked up shit in it, but whatever. And now it's like, oh, I never need to reread those again. Mm. Uh, but um, Aang's reaction to where's Appa, you know? Like, the way Toph can't even react, and the way the camera, like, moves around him. I'm saying camera like it's a fucking live-action show. But, like, the way they frame it is is really, like, it hits me in the gut every time. Like, it, it's so deeply sad because those characters have such, like, a bond, you know? Like, avatars have their... Their animal guy. Well, he's the only one from his previous life. Yeah. No, this episode doesn't have a lot going on, like, as much as the last couple ones, like, ideologically or, like, thematically or anything like that. Well, but I it, mean, it's got the stuff about, like, humans only use knowledge to get the better of one another, which isn't wrong. Yeah, it's, it's not wrong, but it's also, like, in this one very specific circumstance, they do need it to basically survive, <laughs> you know? Mm. But it is also not wrong. And so it's just a little, like... It's that really tragic irony that, like, you know, we do have to lie to you. But we need it to, like, save everyone. And he's like, ah, maybe people aren't worth saving or whatever. Like, ah, like, there's a lot going on there with that character. That's, that character... The spirit world stuff is, like, really fucking freaky sometimes in this show. Yeah. Or maybe you could also, like, play your hand a little better and be like, Oh, we want to look up the worst thing, worst day that ever happened to the fire nation. So we can make sure it doesn't happen again. Wink, wink. <laughs> I, I guess don't so. wink at him. Though, yeah. Don't. Cause that'll give it away. Oh, I'm using my left eye. 
Yeah, but I mean that was Sokka's fault because he's a dumb. Yes, yeah, Sokka is kind of an idiot. Like he's he's a smart tactician. He's in... just an idiot, <laughs> and they love him. Should have kept him in the hole. <laughs> so sad. You know he should have stayed with Toph. Books would have done him about as well. Aww. <laughs> Although he, he's the one who puts it together. I gotta. I, I am being a little hard on. Yeah, him. he figures it out. Sokka Sokka's like got a lot going one. on. Yeah. I'm just being, I'm just having my fun. Yeah. And I like that when they all have to present the spirit with, like, knowledge or, like, a gift so they can, like, explore the library. Like, everyone has, like, these remarkable, like, things to show him. Like, oh, wow, yeah, I'll appreciate that. Oh, that's so cool. And then Sokka's, like, just presents a knot he just made. And the spirit's like, you're not very bright, are you? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, poor Sokka. I love Sokka. Uh, no, no, this is. I think this is the best run of episodes we've talked about so far. And uh, I, I love them very much. And next time, we'll be talking about The Desert, The Serpent's Pass, The Drill, City of Walls and Secrets, and The Tales of Bossing Say. Which is kind of like oh, yeah, five gonna episodes. End, we're going to end on The Tales of Bossing Say. Yeah, which is also like five episodes in and of itself. So... And not like in the way that there's multiple plots going on. Like literally, for those that haven't seen the show before, it is literally like a like an anthology episode, bunch of little short stories, and um, well, we'll see how that goes. Oh, I got I, I to say one thing. Um, I just found out that this episode and the next episode both aired on the same day because um, I guess they thought it would be too devastating of an ending. Oh, that makes sense. Just leave kid, just leave kids with. Oh, it looks like uh, for the rest of the season they they doubled up. Oh no, they they stop. Ah, whatever. Yeah. No, um, they doubled up a few times. They they double up with this, and then they double up with the return because there was like a wait. I remember there was a wait because I was yeah, so it's... eager to watch what happened next. And oh, they're gonna find Appa right away. He can't be gone that long. That's what the next episode will be about, and we'll talk about what happens with that <laughs> and how that devastated young Jacob. I, I mentioned. Uh how this kind of plays better in, like, the serial format, whereas Korra might have played better, released all at once. Mm -hmm. And when you look at, like, the dates of these episodes, it's, like, this weird window into, like, how television used to be done, mm -hmm. where they would, like, do only a few episodes at a time, and then there'd be, like, these huge gaps, and then they would just replay all the other episodes. Because, like, you basically have to, like, increase the chances of people catching mm -hmm. up. Because there's just no internet to, like, watch it on. <laughs> It's just weird. Like now, it's just like they don't do that anymore. It's like a new Steven Universe drops, and like it's someone's illegally put it on YouTube by the next day. <laughs> Much like these recordings. Hey, has this been our longest episode? Probably. I'll cut it down by a little bit because there's the yeah. some stuff in the beginning that I was just like, "Why are we talking about this?" Well, I'm about to make it a little longer. No, Matt. Where can the people because... find you? Because I'm gonna cut last it. week I kept losing power and internet. I'm going to edit you out so, from the last episode and put your ending in this episode. No, just leave it. It's funny. Okay. But, uh, Is it? No one, no one cares. We're not going to get angry letters about how long these fucking things are. You'd be surprised. But listen. They shouldn't fucking listen. Get the fuck out. <laughs> but... Uh, now it's time for my everyone's favorite segment. You did it once. <laughs> Especially Diego's, where I take a BuzzFeed quiz based on Avatar, The Last Airbender. And today's quiz is, 
which Avatar The Last Airbender nation do you belong in? Sound like a good one? No. I'm going to need your help with this a little bit. That's okay. I don't know. I don't know what any of the questions are. <laughs> right, let's go. All right, first one. Which element... Re- oh, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I, it's like, which element represents your personality? Water, air, earth, and fire. Gee, which nation am I going to end up in? <laughs> I don't know, Diego. Which one do you think's, uh, thinks fits me? Fire. Really? Yeah. Why'd you say that? I, I don't know. I just got a feeling. Because <laughs> I got a strong sense. I got a strong will, personality, and drive and ambition. Yeah, something like that. All right. I'll go with fire. What two words appeal to you the most persistence and enduring peace and freedom community and love desire and will man i don't think any of these really fit me yeah i was gonna say (laughs) i'm gonna say persistent and enduring because that's what i just do when i have a bit i want to do i guess you really don't want to do it something like that yeah yeah which Hogwarts house? Oh, Christ. <laughs> oh, so this to. is from like 2011. Um, nope, it's from 2020. <laughs> oh, what the fuck? Hufflepuff. All right. How would your friends describe you? Strong, kind, ambitious, passionate. Well, I'm all of those things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I- I'm going to say kind. That sounds like me, right? I'm a kind guy. If you and your friends are going to do... what? Wait. If you and your friends are going for the same job, what would you do? Go into my interview and do my best, wishing them luck as well? I would ensure that they mess up and I get the job. Screw friends. Back down and let them have it. They need it more. I would do my best and hope they mess up. You know what? I would hope my friends mess up. <laughs> so there you go. I wouldn't force it, but you know. Which stranger thing teen are you? You know what? This uh, this says something, because I don't know any of these characters. I, I don't know either. But wh- Jonathan, Steve, Robin, Nancy. Mm, who are those people? I Who are these people? I don't know. I don't know those people, actually. Name I like the name Robin, so I'm picking that. Yeah, okay. I see. Which Hunger Games character are you? This has nothing to do with Avatar. <laughs> Finnick. I don't know who that is, but I'm going with Finnick. Pick a wait, what the this is the worst <laughs> quiz. Pick a fine line song? What the hell is fine line? Is that a band? I, I don't know. I don't know any of these. Oh, I know some of them, but I don't care. The The song is Cherry, To Be So Lonely, She, and Canyon Moon. Do Canyon Moon. I like the, I like the moon. Yeah. Pick a season. Summer, autumn, winter, and spring. Autumn. I got the air nomads. Okay, Matt, where can the people find you? Even though I'm most identified with fire, (laughs) I got the air nomads. Maybe it's the momentum of the air. Air is the element of freedom. 
the air nomads detach themselves from worldly concerns. Yeah, that... <laughs> that yeah. Peace and freedom. Yep, that definitely sounds like me. I should pin it to my Twitter profile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'll retweet it, I guess. <laughs> hey. Matt, where can the people I, find you? I got air nomads. I just posted it. <laughs> I don't know why I find that so funny. No one shared a BuzzFeed quid in like a decade. This is the worst. This is the best. The opening and I the ending of this episode I, are the worst things that have ever happened to me. I love this segment. I can't wait to do it again. You're not doing it again. I'm doing it. Hey, I got one more for book three. Oh my god. Um, I'm an emperor OTN1 at twitter.com. You can find me at the Diego Crespo, twitter.com. Check out the Waffle Press on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Patreon, where you can get early access to other episodes in book one, two, three, or I guess we'll be on book three by this point, like of recording. So you guys will have access to those. And um, yeah, that's it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We have been professionally unprofessional. <laughs>